that's great. Uh, when, when I was little, um, one of my cousins um, opened up a, a Christmas present that she'd been given by our grandmother. And as she opened it up and took the wrapping paper off, she, she burst into tears. And she said, I don't like muesli. But actually, it wasn't muesli. It was birdseed. And attached to the packet of birdseed was a string. And the string led into the laundry, where it was attached at the other end to a cage, which uh, held a birdcage, which held a badrigar, which was something that she had always wanted. So I guess my question to you is, have you ever received a gift that, that you didn't understand its significance at the time, that you didn't, didn't understand how important it was or what it might mean to you? Happens not infrequently. Imagine if, if, if this morning or this afternoon you're handed a present and what you find when you unwrap it is you find a key. Isn't that great? And you probably think, you might just think, oh, that's a key. But you'd probably think, I wonder what this key opens. I wonder what it unlocks. Because, of course, the significance of a key is, is what it reveals, is what it makes possible for you. And that would get your mind racing, wouldn't it? I mean, a key, a key to what? Maybe it's, maybe it's the key to a new car. Or maybe it's a key to a new boat. Or maybe it's a key to a holiday house. Or perhaps it's a key um, to a treasure chest. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? A treasure chest. What is this the key to? But if the key, perhaps like this key, was little and old and rusty, you might just possibly think to yourself, well, actually, I don't collect keys, so what's the good of that? And you might just even throw it out. And that would be a shame if perhaps actually it was the key to a Scottish castle. If you like Scottish castles. Well, have a look with me. If you've still got your pew Bibles open, have a look with me at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Ah, the first 18 verses. And we're on page 860 of the pew Bible. And uh, you'll notice, if you just scan your eyes down, you'll notice that four times we read the word, word, with the capital W, with the capital W, at the beginning. Say, in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the capital W word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and now down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, now the author, John, uh, he wrote his gospel in Greek. Um, that is because in his day, English hadn't been invented yet. And everybody spoke Greek. That may not have been the language that you spoke at home, but basically everywhere from the, the markets of Spain, all through Italy and Rome, around through uh, Turkey and the Near East, and around to Alexandria, Egypt, Libya, and Tunisia, everybody spoke Greek. So that's why he wrote his gospel in Greek. And the word that he actually wrote was not the English word word, which hadn't been invented yet, but it was a Greek word. And that Greek word was 
logos. Logos means word. And from it, we get the English suffix ology, as in geology, um, which means literally words about the earth, or biology, or zoology, which means words about life, and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that in Greek, logos has a much broader meaning than just the single word word. It can mean lots of different things. It can mean message or speech. So actually, we can think of what John wrote in terms of perhaps in the beginning was the message, and the message was with God, and the message was God. Now, also, to, to the ancient mind, when you're thinking about, about message, you're also thinking about wisdom, because message and wisdom were very closely uh, associated. So we might even stretch our translation to be, in the beginning was the wisdom, and the wisdom was with God, and the wisdom was God. Now, um, to, to the Jews, wisdom was very practical and hands-on. What was wisdom to a Jewish mind? Well, wisdom was knowing what had to be done and doing it. Wisdom was practical and hands-on. And in the eighth chapter of Proverbs, which we read this morning, we, we have there some poetry in which wisdom becomes personified, presented to us in the poem as a person, like an actor on a stage. And here she comes in at verse 1, and she is Lady Wisdom. For wisdom is personified in the feminine in this poem. And she calls out, she cries out in the streets saying, Come to me, everyone, for I will save your life. I am Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom says that she'll teach us the fear of the Lord, how to hate what is evil, how to get rid of pride and arrogance and be done with evil behavior and talking about what's not right. And she continues, I have been with God right from the beginning, from before the beginning, from before the creation of the world. I was there when order came to the primordial chaos when the stars took shape and form, when the mountains were settled into place, when the sea found its boundary. Then I was constantly by his side, delighted, filled with delight day after day, rejoicing, rejoicing in everything always in his presence, delighting in the whole world, especially in the creation of people. And she finishes by saying, and so, my disciples, listen to me. Blessed are all who follow my ways, who wait for me, who find me. Those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. So, so who is this Lady Wisdom? Well, she's the key, really, isn't she? She's, she's wisdom. She's, she's the key to, to living a good life. And given the practical nature of wisdom from the perspective of the Jewish mind, it was only natural for them that, that wisdom should be personified, presented as a person, a person who gets her hands dirty, planting apricot trees and, and putting the rocks in just the right place in the garden. And 
she's a wise woman. She knows what needs to be done, and she does it. Pictured in the feminine, God got his hands dirty, making a world he loves. But to the Greek mind, to the Gentiles, to, to those who thought like Greeks, to the non-Jewish brain, wisdom was anything but practical and hands-on. No, true wisdom, as far as the Greeks were concerned, was, was ideas, was abstract thought. That was wisdom, ideas. Because you see, to the Greeks, they thought of the universe as fundamentally a dichotomy, two things. There were two worlds. One world was the spiritual world the place of the gods, the place of ideas, the place of abstract, pure thought. The other world was physical and yucky, the place of human beings, the place where ideas found physical application and abstract thoughts were given practical means. But, but the first world, the spiritual world, was perfect. The second world, the physical world, was never perfect. The wheel might have been a perfect idea, but in this world, we never find a perfect wheel. The physical, the flesh, the blood, the earthly, it was all very disappointing, inherently imperfect, and degraded and debased. That's how the Greeks thought. So when they thought of wisdom, they thought more in terms of rational, abstract thought, which we call logic. Logic, it also comes from the word logos, logic. And so from a, a Greek Gentile perspective, we might offer a fourth translation of John's opening line. In the beginning was the logic, and the logic was God, sorry, and the logic was with God, and the logic was God. So, so what, is, what is John doing which translation is right? Word, message, wisdom, logic? Well, actually, the, the answer is all of them. John loves to do this. He, he chucks in words which uh, have double meanings or triple meanings or quadruple meanings. And he loves us to just kind of think about that. So here's, here's a good translation. In the beginning was the word, the message, the wisdom, the logic. And the word message, wisdom, logic was with God, and the word message, wisdom, logic was God. He was with God in the beginning. And what John is telling us is that Jesus is the answer. And yeah, I know, I know. You've, you've heard Christians say that before, haven't you? I mean, I remember before I became a Christian, walking along UWA and seeing a poster from the Christian Union, and it said, Jesus is the answer. And I thought that was inherently funny, because they hadn't told me what the question was. And I could imagine in my biochemistry exams writing, Jesus. And getting no marks. Although, in fact, if I had, I would have been right wildly beyond my own understanding or the understanding of my lecturers. Because I just had no idea as to the profundity of what was being said. But it, they were right. Jesus actually is the answer. He's the logic of God. Take him out and nothing makes sense. Jesus is the key. He's the one who unlocks it all. 
Do, do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what he's like? Jesus is the key. Do you want to get to know God personally? Jesus is the key. Do you want to know what it means to be a human being? How we should live life? What this life means? Jesus is the key. Do you want to find forgiveness for bad things that you've done? Jesus is the key. Do you you want to um, live forever and not have to die? Jesus is the key. Jesus is the answer. He's the wisdom of God, the message of God, the logic of God. He's actually the key to everything. Nothing at all in this whole universe actually makes sense without him because in him and through him all things were made and nothing that has been made was made except with him. He's the key. He's the solution. He's as obvious as a candle in a dark room, yet the darkness has not even begun to work him out. But leave him out of the equation and final and complete understanding becomes impossible. Bunch of people groping around in the dark for answers. The solution came to planet Earth. The solution was rejected. The key was given, but it was discarded as useless. Whether we're talking about the problems that we now face in the world, or perhaps the problems in the church, or perhaps the problems in our own lives, Jesus is the key. He's the answer. He's the logic of God. No no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and who is in the closest possible relationship with the Father, this one has made God known. And so that leaves us with Jesus. Sure, from from a Greek perspective, we we can think about Jesus and we can consider his ideas and his principles and his philosophies and we can ponder the perfection of the cross and all that it means to follow him. But from a Jewish perspective, he's a person whom we can get to know, we can invite into our hearts and get our hands dirty as we follow along with him on the road to Galilee. He is the Logos of God. Friends, we, we have the solution. We have the answer. We have the key. It was given to us years ago at Christmas. And now, may the Lord bless you with a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day and a wonderful Christmas holiday with Christ at the center, its solution and key. The Lord be with you.